Wade Wagner has been focused on building developer tools and platforms for most of his career. Today, he's the SVP of Product for Platform at Salesforce and responsible for products that are used by countless customers around the world. What Wade and his team focus on most is helping customers get more done faster so that they can put more of their energy into moving their businesses forward. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Wade explains how that's possible with Salesforce Customer 360 platform, and he shares what we can be excited about coming out of the Salesforce product team soon. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform. This episode is part of a special series on the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the platform that powers the world's number one CRM. In this series, executives from Salesforce will discuss how using 10 innovative technologies, including AI, blockchain, and automation, can help you drive the digital transformation of every experience and get you closer to your customers. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we have on the other line, Wade, what's going on? Not much. How are you today? It's a great day. And we are excited to talk about app development and your background and some fun stuff that is going on at the Salesforce platform. Uh, well, at Salesforce and on the Salesforce Customer 360 platform. So we're going to get into all that. But first, how did you get started in technology in the first place? Gosh, I guess it's uh, it's been years now. But um, you know, back in college, I had an opportunity to I work in an engineering lab, so University of Illinois. I started off as an aerospace engineer, and uh, at the same time I started as a freshman, the senior that had been running the HP and SGI lab uh, for the aerospace department was about to graduate. So they were looking for someone to coach and kind of pick up the the ropes uh, as a freshman and then take responsibility for the next four years. So so I did that and had a lot of fun, Um, got really into writing some some C code, doing all kinds of different shell scripting. And I'd say really that was kind of the uh, the first time that I saw the value and utility of of coding. Uh, prior to that, you know, I just basically used computers for gaming. But uh, yeah, I started off as a developer at, at the university and uh, didn't end up using my, my degree whatsoever and got a job as a developer. So flash forward to today, tell me a little bit about your current role as SVP of uh, product for platform. So the platform is, is, a, is a pretty broad surface area. And what my, my team and I end up focusing on is really how do we enable developers uh, to successfully build on the platform? Uh, you know, that could be for creating applications, could be for defining business process. It could even be just extending and customizing some of the, the apps that Salesforce creates as well. And so it's a pretty broad spectrum of, of, of things that we're responsible for, everything from you know, the underlying metadata and schema that defines how data is stored and how you know developers and end users interact with with data in the platform all the way to the developer tools the environments that developers use how you set up automation uh, continuous integration how you do testing etc so again like i said pretty pretty broad spectrum but um, also a very exciting set of capabilities that developers can use for for development so we're going to get deep into the weeds here on app development. You know, you, you, you spent some time at Microsoft and obviously now at Salesforce. Kind of how have you seen apps? You know, obviously it's been a huge change over the past, you know, 10 years of, of how apps are created. 
the rise of, you know, like things like App Exchange and the App Store and everything. But most recently, how have you seen app development kind of change in the last 12 months? So I'd say in the, the last 12 months and, and maybe even a little bit, bit longer, but I have seen more and more interest and more and more discussions across the industry around this topic of low code. Um, and just to kind of set context, I very much like the way that Forrester defines low code and low code is not just about no code. So I think oftentimes when we start talking about low code platforms, people immediately start thinking about how you can end up building with just clicks, you know, and, and oftentimes I think people have this perspective that low code doesn't include code. And Forrester does a great job of defining it where it talks about a spectrum of capabilities, uh, everything from from no code, which would you know be like being able to develop uh, highly productively, so very quickly, really focused on business value, all the way then to the other side where you enable professional developers to write code. And I think the value of low code platforms in particular and those that, that excel is that it makes it easier for a professional developer who's writing code and then someone who is using tools like declarative builders and such to build their apps and to customize. Low-code platforms that do this well bring them together and, and enable them to function well as a team. And I think over the last 12 months, I've seen a lot more interest in that and a lot more discussion. Certainly, I think you'll see various platform companies and other tooling vendors building more to enable this. But, but the reason why I've seen, I think, more interest too is there's a lot of focus on how do we just enable people to be more productive? How do we get away from maybe some more of the lower level things that oftentimes uh, require not only more time, but over time also end up requiring us to support and maintain large code bases as well? How do we, how do we get to higher level abstractions where we can focus on the value, but then when we need to extend with code, when we need to do something that is very specific, we can do so in a very natural way. So. I, I definitely have seen a lot of discussions and interest and, and actually success over the last 12 months in that low code spectrum. You know, we had many moons ago, uh, Sadir from BMC on talking about how yes. they, they have this great case study of how they use low code. Like, are you talking about stuff like that where like, you know, IT organizations and people can just add a bunch of capacity with low code developers? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I'm glad you actually mentioned Sidir because great, great success that, that he's driven uh, through low code. I think I'm reflecting on even more recent conversations at Dreamforce with companies that, especially in IT and a lot of CIOs, you know, they're, they're trying to think about how do we find a platform that allows us to create this, you know, quote unquote, app factory. And the idea is, having a platform, a low-code platform that enables a very broad set of people to be successful building apps and building process and so forth uh, with a set of capabilities that maybe they've already been pre-built, maybe they are part of the platform, but the point is that when you need to go get something done, you know, you're not starting from scratch each time. You've actually got a portfolio of capabilities, things that you can draw on, almost a you, you can kind of think about it as a, a toolbox built with a bunch of things that either you've built before or others have built for you that you're able to then use to rapidly assemble, rapidly then deliver value. And I, I think you, you called out Sadir, like I think he has definitely been able to do that, to build out, you know, internally this, this 
at factory where it's a combination of people that um, know how to take advantage of tools and capabilities, but also then the actual assets themselves, whether it's components that you've built, templates that you've built, et cetera, that you can very rapidly take advantage of to, to craft new things, to solve new problems. Well, and it seems like there's kind of this need for, you know, potentially more and more apps or way less apps at any given time um, where it's like we need to consolidate into, you know, we have one application that we use and, you know, we have all these, we have like 15 now, we wanted it to be one originally, or, you know, we have one now and it would actually be easier to be 15. Do you kind of have like an overarching like framework or strategy of how you look at that sort of thing if, you know, for CIOs and technology leaders? Yeah, well, I think when I talk to people and they're looking to do consolidation or make changes to the portfolio of apps they have, I think oftentimes it's done because over time there is a burden to what it takes to support uh, all of these things that have grown over time. And one of the things that I care a lot about, and I think we focused a lot with the Salesforce platform, is how do we make it easier? How do we bring agility to not just build the apps themselves, but there's a whole life cycle, right? Like once you build an app, you're not done. You're supporting that application. You're fixing issues. You're adding features. You are. You need to be able to very easily continue to support that application. So when I, when I hear typically like people have, oh, we've got all these apps and we need to consolidate, oftentimes it's because of the burden of support. There's just so much that's grown over time. And so in that context, you know, whether it's going from many apps to one or one to many, I think it's important to be thinking about the full life cycle of what it means to, to have an app or, and again, we're saying the word apps. I mean, app, the, the idea of an app is just, it's an abstraction. It could be a, it could be a business process. It could be a, a workflow, an approval, whatever it might be that you're building. But I think it is important to be thinking about how you service that in the long term. I, I think it's actually incredibly important for low code platforms. And, you know, again, it's an ethic that we build into the Salesforce platform is that, to support apps over time, you have to make it easy to test things. You have to make it easy to automate things because the harder it is for you to maintain an app, the harder it is for you to release applications, you know, the, the more difficult you're going to find managing them and supporting them in the, the, the lifespan. And it might end up, I think, causing you to think that the solution is actually fewer apps where maybe it has nothing to do with the number of apps. It's just the complexity and the challenges you have in managing them. So again, it's different depending on circumstances, but I look at number of apps is not necessarily a V metric, but how easily and how well you can end up supporting those apps. Yeah. How do you, how do you think that like CIOs and CTOs can best arrange their teams and kind of align the human capital side of app development with kind of like, you know, current methodologies like agile and stuff like that? That's a good, good question. I think um, I, I hate to answer with that consultative response, which is it depends. But, you know, I think in general, uh, what I, where I've seen success is when you really find companies that integrate different types of disciplines together. So for instance, I've seen a lot of success in some of our uh, enterprise customers where you build out teams where you, where you have these declarative developers, you know, individuals who are very skilled at using tools like Flow Builder or Process Builder or App Builder to create apps to create business process people that understand how to define new data models and business rules and so forth in the platform but then 
literally embed them in, in, into that team, embed a developer. So great example, Cheryl Feldman, someone in our community talks a lot about the partnership that she has with a developer on her team and how together they're able to do just tremendous things. You know, it could end up being that perhaps there is a certain type of process or a certain type of business rule that, you know, you may want to codify in the app or the process somewhat differently. And there, there can be a whole bunch of different reasons for that. You know, having the ability to have a developer fully embedded onto that team with some declarative developers is powerful because now that team understands what it is that they're going to build and together can figure out the right way to do it. And it's also a balancing act too, because when you have a team of, let's say, professional developers who write code for a living, guess what they're gonna do when they're solving a problem? They're gonna write a lot of code. Now, if you put into that team someone who, you know, might better understand the Salesforce platform and, you know, how to do things without code, you've now suddenly got, I don't want to say an opposing force, but you've got another force on the team that's going to try to say like, well, if we write that with code, I'm going to struggle to maintain that over time. So let's look for finding a different way to perhaps try to go about doing this that doesn't require us to write code. So you've got to kind of that, that yin and yang on the team. You've got some balance. And I think what that does is it actually drives towards healthier decisions that are made in terms of how you build apps and, you know, longer term is going to set you up for, for success. But again, like I said earlier, it all depends. Um, there are other ways with which to deploy uh, the people within your organization. You know, you might look at uh, developers building APIs and connecting to other systems and then providing mechanisms where then others are able to build on top of it. So different ways to, to construct it, but I definitely like like it when we see integrated in teams where developers of different types are working together. Are there any challenges that you're seeing technology leaders face when it comes to app development? It's a good question. I think I may have touched on it a little bit earlier, but it's, it's probably worth mentioning again. I think about in terms of, you know, what is a a scorecard organizations can use to measure their success, measure their health, et cetera. And I think a metric that is an important one is how often are you releasing? You know, and again, I, and I'll say, I think even at Salesforce, we get caught up on, you know, how exciting it can be to build new things. But I think the truest and most important metrics, you know, especially when you're thinking about agility and how you're responding to business needs is how often are you shipping? You know, and I'll reflect a little on Salesforce. You know, we do talk a lot about how we ship three times a year, and that is true. But I want to emphasize that we're talking about like we're talking about major, major versioning of the platform. Like when we have very widespread changes, we limit that to three times a year. The reality is, is we are actually shipping updates, you know, if not daily, we do e-releases all the time, but we ship often. And to do that, you really need to think about what is that pipeline that you use? What is the process that you use for managing these releases and changes? So, you know, in terms of like how people are thinking about solving certain types of challenges, I see a lot of people asking questions, a lot of, a lot of organizations, a lot of CIOs asking questions around how do I get more agility? How do I get more confidence in my release process? And it, it's great to start by first tracking that, like actually having a dashboard and seeing how often you do that uh, and then pushing the organization to be able to do that. And, you know, that means taking advantage of test automation, 
thinking about unit testing, integration testing, and how you, you build that into the work that you do so that you build this pipeline so that when you do want to release often, you have all those checks so that you can then also release with confidence. And how do you communicate that with like the other parts of the organization, like, you know, with business leaders, with marketing, with all the folks that are kind of key stakeholders in that? Because I know that that's one of the challenges with app development is kind of like, you know, you have, you're releasing updates constantly, but then when you have, you know, the big one that is coming on whatever, you know, hey, we're launching something January 1st. And you kind of have that stress of the team of like, hey, are we going to hit this target? Because we have all this marketing promotion planned for it. And we have all this other stuff. Like, how do you kind of communicate that stuff effectively and make sure your team can, can hit those targets and you're not burning them out? A lot, of, a lot of good stuff embedded in that question. So a couple of thoughts, and, and I think I'll get around to answering it. But, um, you know, when I think about, you know, the, the notion of these big deliverables, right? Like, you're working on a project, marketing is depending on it, super important, high visibility. I think it's critical in those cases to not wait until the date of delivery to start validating this entire process, this entire, entire pipeline, the thing that you're building. So again, we're talking about agility. That means releasing often and incrementally. So you are establishing confidence, not only in your ability to deliver, but you're establishing confidence deconfidence such that all of these other stakeholders have confidence in your team as well by having these incremental points with which you are delivering value. And that's that's key. Like, I, I mean, I think all of us have been in cases where maybe it's years ago, maybe it's even now where the approach is more waterfall, where we've got a bunch of business requirements that have been collected from key stakeholders and you go off for months or maybe even longer, build something and then you deliver it. And it's like, wow, that's not exactly what we needed or wanted. Or, you know, maybe there's even problems at the end of it. You know, certain things aren't working the way that you're, they're expected to work. So we love to throw around terms like agility and so forth. But, you know, it's important to remember why. And I think the, the reasons for these approaches is to, to build that confidence. And, and it's confidence across the board that ultimately we're going to get to what it is that the marketing department or whatever group it is needs. And uh, I think that's important. And I think actually that... It, from a communications perspective, it's really important to be transparent about how you are going about delivering so that your stakeholders know what to expect. They know along the way what is being delivered. And again, they're not worried that, you know, come the day that they, they need a certain set of capabilities for whatever it might be, that there is going to be an inordinate amount of risk associated with getting it. Agility, continual releases, incremental delivery and so forth, mitigates that risk uh, while growing confidence. Hopefully that answered your question. Well, yeah. And I think that, you know, part of like the organizational side of this is often tough for technology leaders because, you know, there's a lot more of potential like, you know, coaching up or cross coaching or whatever it is, um, you know, working with stakeholders within the organization, other leaders to make sure that you're kind of nailing that. Obviously, you know, with Salesforce, you have things like, you know, Dreamforce and obviously like these huge events that everyone is rowing in the same direction on. But for other organizations that, especially that aren't technology companies, how the CTO or CIO fits into that might not be kind of, you know, front and center. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, like if you're not front and center, tech isn't front and center to your company, how do you kind of like 
help get those stakeholders on board with what you what you're doing and why you want to be building you know these applications a good good question i think you know while not everyone in an organization may have that background for app dev or understand why we end up developing certain methodologies and doing things in a certain way i think everyone can understand the outcomes you know in a business today we all use technology all the time, right? Um, like even as an employee at Salesforce, I'm using all kinds of internal tools that are delivered by our employee support organization or whatever that might end up being. So I think all of us understand the outcome. So I think it's important for a technology organization to talk in the language of those outcomes and in, in the business. So like, you know, yes, we're practicing all these techniques to, to build apps, but why? Like we're doing that in order to solve business problems. And so the more we can articulate the value of what we're doing and explaining that the reason we are delivering incremental value to you, like the reason you are getting uh, various updates is because we want to get you to a point where you have the confidence in the product and it works and we can support you and, you know, that sort of thing, right? It's, it's just... Again, it's we talk at Salesforce a lot about speaking in the language of our customer. We we spend a lot of time understanding our customers' business, and we are a technology company. And the reason we we spend that time trying to understand our customers is so that we build things that support and enable them to do great things. And I think internally at an organization, it's no different, right? Whether you're IT or you know, you're a departmental uh, organization building things, like being able to articulate what you're doing in the language that your end users and your constituents understand is, is incredibly important. Switching gears to the customer 360 platform, obviously, you know, our listeners know all about it because you're the amazing sponsor of our show. Although we've never had, had you on Wade. So this is, this is fun. I, I do want to talk a little product stuff. Like what's kind of next? What's the, what's the state of platform? You know, I know there's been a lot of exciting things that were just announced at Dreamforce and all that. So I'm just curious, like for our listeners, like where, where are we at? Where are we going? Awesome. Well, well, thanks. I mean, as a product person talking about what we're working on is always, always exciting. Um, you know, a couple of things that I'll highlight and they were big focuses for us at Dreamforce. The first is what we call Salesforce Evergreen. And, you know, again, given that the listeners here, uh, I think are familiar with Salesforce, you're also familiar with the fact that, you know, for, for a long time, we've actually had two somewhat uh, somewhat different platforms. I mean, we've got an amazing platform called Heroku and a product called Heroku, which provides cloud scale, elasticity, the ability to write code using open languages, all kinds of flexibility with, you know, cloud native build packs, takes advantage of Docker and container and all, all this great stuff, right? And developers love it. I mean, the, the developer experience provided by, by Heroku is, is second to none. But it's also very much for professional developers. We also have the Customer 360 platform, Lightning platform, for, for those familiar with Lightning platform as well, uh, which while it has these capabilities with Apex to write code and so forth, I think is also incredibly powerful with respect to declarative and uh, citizen development. And what we announced with Evergreen is a commitment and an investment to really unify these two platforms. So what Salesforce Evergreen is, is actually a, a new runtime built on Kubernetes, taking advantage of really some fundamental new technology, Istio, 
for service mesh and, and the like to provide a runtime that allows Salesforce developers when they write code to not be making a choice as to whether or not it is part of Lightning Platform Heroku. You can write your code, deploy it, use the language of your choice. You are inherently building it on an elastic infrastructure. So you get that scalability, that cloud scalability that you would expect from public cloud, but it's connected to everything else that lives within the apps that you've built on, on the customer 360 platform. So here's a scenario. We, there's actually some phenomenal demonstrations of this at Dreamforce, but I'll try to walk through it. You know, you've got a developer that is wanting to build, let's say, a PDF creation uh, service, right? Create a PDF based on some data that lives in Salesforce. And to do that, you know, there's a great ecosystem with uh, node developers where you can go out to NPM, which is a repository for a lot of open source packages, and grab a library and utility that's already been pre-built that enables you to generate PDFs. So you grab that, you write some code, that code is actually extracting data from Salesforce using a SQL statement, right? So getting that data out and generates that PDF. Well, so now you've got this API, you've deployed it on Evergreen, you wanna connect it to let's say Process Builder. And so you don't have to then go through this complex uh, set of steps in order to take the API that you built, again, that is, that is elastic and using a public PDF generating utility to connect it to Process Builder because it's built on Evergreen, the identity flows, it's multi-tenant aware, it's secure, and you can simply connect to it so that, as, so that a declarative developer building something in process or flow or whatever it might be can see that as an action and can add as an, act, as an action and generate their PDF. So whereas in the past, it ends up becoming almost more of an exercise and in integration. So Salesforce Evergreen is a very exciting new runtime for our customers uh, as well as our partners. And so definitely an area that I think is worth you know, spending some time to learn a little bit more. The other side is when it comes to release management, we know customers find a lot of value and success in using sandboxes and in particular full sandboxes. A full sandbox is basically a, a copy of a production environment. It has all of your metadata, it's got all of your data. And so it's a great place either for developers to do validation, to do development, or even a place for you to do testing, whether that is automation testing, it could be uh, user acceptance testing. But one of the things that we have heard is while there's a ton of value in having production data in this environment, you also want to make sure that sensitive production data is masked and uh, that developers who need to be able to exercise the capabilities of the platform don't inadvertently get access to data that they shouldn't have just because they're in a testing environment. And so we announced and are, are just literally at the time of this recording days away from launching a new product called Data Mask. And so what Data Mask does is when you generate and create these sandboxes, you can define a configuration to then mask production data. So maybe you've got some sensitive PII data, maybe you've got financials, whatever it might be. You can define configurations so that during the process of creating the sandbox, we could anonymize data, we could pseudo-anonymize data. So what that means is like maybe you want to protect people's names, but you want the data that is used to mask to actually look like a name, but you just want it randomized. So instead of it being Wade Wegner, it may be John Doe, right? So you can pseudo-anonymize pseudo data, alpha and numeric data, or you can just delete it. And so we've actually seen a ton of excitement around data mask because of the fact that it 
does things that previously would have required perhaps a customer to solve, right? Like you may have had to write some scripts that cleaned up a whole bunch of data before you gave that environment to a developer. So Evergreen, Data Mask, both, you know, two very exciting new additions to uh, the platform product surface area. It's incredible, you know, the amount of innovation just, you know, in the past year since we've been doing this podcast that we've seen from from the platform team. So I'm curious, like, what are some cool use cases or or things that, you know, you've seen customers have or that you're excited about that people have access to in the in the not too distant future? So if I if I reflect on, you know, what I just mentioned and also to your point, this innovation that we've seen over the last year, whether it's blockchain or mobile. Like the value of all of this is by us providing these capabilities, it means that there's less that you end up having to create yourself. And the more I think that you can take advantage of the platform, you know, not just not only does that uh, speed things up for you, but it means that over time there's less and less for you to maintain. I mean, going back to even some of the earlier things that I talked about, like we we again get super excited, I think, about building apps and building process, and got to remember that. You know, for most most organizations, the vast majority of time is spent maintaining and supporting existing apps, right? And so the more that you can take advantage of these new capabilities, the more that you're leveraging, you know, built-in functionality within the Salesforce platform, what that means is there's actually less for you to manage over time. You're, you're shifting the burden, you're shifting the responsibility to Salesforce and, you know, allowing us to... Uh, validate and to ensure that, you know, over time as things change, things continue to work and operate. So I think that that's really exciting. It, it, it means that you can do more, build more, focus on more of the things that are valuable for your organization versus having to, I don't know, you know, write scripts that that mask data, right, in a test environment, you know, giving that example again from, from data mask. Or instead of having to go in and spend a whole lot of time building out a web component that renders in a way that you would expect it to on a mobile device versus the desktop, if you can take advantage of our componentry and our base components in order to build your experiences, guess what? We've pre-built them to do that. So that, that's what gets me excited about, I think, a lot of the innovation we see coming out of the platform is all of it increases your ability to focus more on the value you're pr- providing versus you know having to build the fundamentals and the primitives that drive these experiences. All right, let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like just like something you know very well. And that is the Salesforce Customer 360 platform. You can go. Well, really, you don't have to go there because you spend all your time there. But our listeners can go to salesforce.com slash platform to learn more about the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience Salesforce.com slash platform. Check it out for our listeners. You just heard Wade talk about it. You know all the cool stuff that they're up to. If you haven't, I highly recommend you do it. Lightning round questions, Wade. Are you ready? I hope so. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is most fun? Oh, gosh. It's got to be Strava. What is your favorite thing to cook or eat? Chocolate waffles. That's a great answer. I love chocolate. Get some Nutella on there, mm, you know. Sounds good. Maybe some maybe some honey. I don't know. Um, okay. How about what is your favorite vacation spot? Oh, um, 
Uh, it's got to be it's got to be a ski resort in Colorado. It doesn't even really matter which one, but getting up in the mountains, being able to to go out, play around in the snow, and and do a little bit of skiing. What is your favorite animal? Dog, without a doubt. Love dogs. What do you do for fun? I am actually an avid home brewer, so I love to spend time thinking about what I want to craft in a beer, how I want it to not only taste, but what it looks like, et cetera. And then, you know, go through that creative process of, of trying to, to make it and not only make it the way that I had hoped for it to turn out, but then to be able to do it again and again and again, kind of re- reproduce it over and over. Yeah. It's kind of got a little bit of, a little bit of science. You use any tech for that? Oh, of course, of course. I uh, I've spent quite a bit of time and probably too much money building out a, a brewery in my garage. So, all kinds of fun little automation and tools that enable me to 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 get some better process in the brewing. Final question: What's your uh, best advice for a first time head of product? I would say make sure you are surrounding yourself with the the best people you can. You know, people that know more than you, people that constantly are willing to ask questions, that love to just engage with the customer, that are just singularly focused on on customer success. So important to really focus on building that team because what you are able to accomplish is all dependent on how that team is able to come together and really work as a as a unit. So the more you invest in that team, the better. Wait, that's it. That's all we got. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Any final thoughts? Any things to plug? No, I'd say, um, honestly, if you haven't already, definitely go and try to watch some of the video recordings of some of the key keynotes at Dreamforce. So I would, I would encourage you to look at the platform keynote with Brett Taylor and Sarah Franklin, or even the developer keynote with Sarah Franklin, myself, Andy Fawcett. Really some fantastic stuff that you can can learn about from those keynotes. Awesome. Thanks again and, and take care. Thank you. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.